Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your guests, Derek Fronick and John Wadner. And we are your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 146. John Wadner is an electronics engineer with a background in logic design, analog circuits, system integration, and testing. Currently, John is a mentor for the Tech Hounds and volunteers for the Boy Scouts of America. Derek Fronick is a high school student from Carmel High School. Derek is part of the Carmel High School robotics team, the Tech Hounds. Right, so both of y'all are from the Tech, uh, excuse me, Tech Hounds. Um, so can you explain more about what that group is? Uh, yeah, I can. I can start off here. So uh, the Tech Hounds are uh, a first uh, robotics team. Uh, first is the overall organization. It stands for uh, for the inspiration, recognition of science and technology, and we compete in what is called FRC, which is the first robotics competition. Uh, it's a yearly competition where uh, teams are given six weeks. Uh, they're given a game at the beginning of January, given six weeks to design, test, and build uh, a 120-pound robot to compete into it to compete in the yearly game. So, what's that game generally like? What kind of game? Um, so the game is incre- uh, fully different every year. So it's a new game. Um, it's not like a traditional sport. Like you won't see basketball or um, or like football or something. Uh, you, they may use objects from those kind of games, but they design it to what a uh, creative idea. So for instance, last year's um, was Power Up. Uh, it was essentially like an 8-bit video game, video game theme. Uh, so like there was like power up power cubes. You had to, um, balance on a scale, uh, in order to, uh, gain points based on how long you control the scale for. Okay, cool. Um, it's 120 pounds. Is that like, is that like a constant every year? Like the weight uh, of the robot? Generally, yeah. The weight of the robot is a constant. Um, yeah, it's 120 pounds without a battery or bumpers. And then it's 150 pounds max with battery and bumpers. Okay. And these are actual robotics, not like battle bots, which are actually just giant RC cars. Yeah, these are yeah these are robots. We've we've programmed them all to um, run autonomous tasks, to uh, use computer vision to analyze targets, um, and to uh, complete whatever objective in the game is in a more kind of uh, controlled manner than you'd seen like a battle bots, where it's just kind of driving around and just buzzsaw on or something. Yeah, that's always been a big. <laughs> uh, big pet peeve me about battle bots because they say they're robots i'm like no it is an rc car that just has a weapon on it i think the closest one in battle bots would be that chomp robot where it has the uh the, like the computer vision for the for the um in whatever that spike is so whenever the robot gets close it hits it but other than that yeah they're pretty much rc cars oh that's kind of cool actually i didn't know there was one that had computer vision at the at the very least it was a distance sensor but they you know use the buzzwords of computer vision it uses cloud computing to see if the enemy is close enough to it, right? And then artificial intelligence feeds into a blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so the the tech hounds. This is a this is a group at your high school where you build and well, I guess from the ground up, design and construct robots in order to compete, right? Yes, absolutely. This is that's exactly what we do. That's that's incredible. I mean, back in back in you know back in my day, I that was I guess high school was I don't know fifteen years ago or something like that. You know, robots were kind of not really achievable. So the so so talk, talk a little bit more about tech hounds. Like, what what is the group? How big is the group? How'd you guys start out? Uh, yeah. So uh, in tech hounds, uh, currently as of uh, this season, we have approximately one hundred and twenty members on the team. Um, and what we do is obviously we build a robot to compete in the game, but we also do other tasks. Like we, I mean, it's essentially the, we function as a a business. So we have like, we have marketing, we have, uh, we have management, we have, uh, we have it, which creates the website. So people know about us. Um, we have a construction division that can design the builds, the field. So we have a practice, something to practice a robot on. So we have various divisions and substructures to, uh, actually, um, function. We, doing different tasks other than just building the robot. So John, how are you involved in this project? Well, the team is, <clears throat> excuse me, guided by adult mentors. When I say guided, that's really, uh, that's really not the relationship. Um, you take Derek, for instance, he's been on the team for what, four years, Derek? Yeah, fourth year. He doesn't need a lot of guidance. 
the mentors offer, you know, most of them are, are engineers or they've had experience with the team before. Uh, for instance, I'm an, I was trained uh, in electrical engineering. What have they got me doing but designing gearboxes? So that's a, that's a stretch for me, or it was a couple of years ago for the first one I did. But uh, a lot of the electrical work is um, pretty much blocks that are wired together. So there's not a, a lot of electrical to do anymore. 20 years ago, I think that was different. So what do uh, so I offer uh, advice like, you know, guys, this thing is going to be sticking an arm sticking off the robot. You really don't want to design it in Lucite or build it in Lucite, that kind of thing. So I try to bring some sanity in regard strength of materials. Um, I bring uh, uh, structured engineering techniques like this is what our output has to be. This is what we think we're going to use for an input. Now, what goes in between it? And work it through that way. If it's got to be a, a gearbox, uh, what does it got to do on the other end? What's the motor interface have to be? That sort of thing. Sometimes it works out pretty well, like last year. Absolutely. So what y'all do last year that turned out so good? Um, well, last year was um, was actually probably, I believe, yeah, it is our most successful season on record. Um, so we ended up winning several competitions and then placing fifth at our world competition. So it was really, it was a great year and a really great learning experience. Now you may not be aware, but in the first universe, there are two worlds. One of them, the one of them, the world's competes in Houston, the one you mentioned, the other one competes in Detroit. Okay. That makes sense, right? So they have two world champions. Then? Yeah, basically, yeah. The competition has grown so big that if you you really can't hold it all in one venue, mm -hmm. in fact, you can't hold it all in one town because typically there aren't two venues of the same size. Gotcha. So, so we get yeah. two world champions, one out of Houston, one out of Detroit. And do they battle it out? I was about to say, this needs to be like BattleBots. <laughs> um, so this is the second year they've actually split it up in the two. Because right now there's like, I believe, over six to 7,000 active SRC teams in the world, um, which has grown exponentially. Wait, six, six to 7,000 teams? Yes, teams. Not just people. Teams. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, I saw their team has 100-something people on it. Yeah, uh, other teams are like could be 10, 15, 20. I mean, it really is in a complete range. We're definitely at the very high end where there's not a lot of teams at our current size. Our school is 5,000 students, so we kind of draw from that population size. So proportionally, it kind of evens out. But most teams are generally between like the 50 to like 10, 10 to like 50 students. Also, the uh, mentor population varies by team. Uh, there's one team uh, not far from here, for instance, that uh, has got a fellow that does robot robotics professionally. And he uh, his analyses at the beginning of the season are truly impressive, something I'd like to uh, get up to speed on. Um, what, does he predict, like, which team is going to go all the way or something like that? Oh, oh, no. Oh, no. He predicts what he's looking for is a predictable performance from his robot. So he'll model oh, it. You. He'll model it from the front end, the motor end, to the actuator end. And so, if you want to, for instance, move the actuator vertically, what did we have to go? Ten feet last year? Uh, yeah, it was about it was about ten feet at the highest for the max elevator. Yeah. You know, he's figuring out how much input power and what drivetrain you need to achieve that. Instead of just kind of guessing and testing. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. We we try to do that. We try to do that too. We, we design it, and then we start, oh, this motor just isn't going to do it. Let's put two of these <laughs> on kind of thing. Just make it bigger. You know that going in. So you design, for instance, a gearbox with uh, three motor mounts. And if one doesn't work, you just add a second one. And then make sure they both turn in the same direction. <laughs> <laughs> they laugh. They laugh, right? We had that little problem, what, two years ago when where they tried to turn a, a, a drum that was built with um, a PVC pipe with wooden flanges. They tried to turn it backwards against a ratchet. 
Mm. Ooh. The motor, the motor turned one end of it, <laughs> but the other end stayed stationary. So you can imagine the result. I was trying to drive a reverse a half inch steel ratchet, so it, it didn't win. <laughs> and there's a story behind why it was half inch steel plate. I'm an electronics guy. What do I know about strength of material? I know we needed one. I probably could have built it out of aluminum, but hey, you know, we're, we've got a water jet place that'll cut it for us. Let's do half inch steel. <laughs> well, it didn't break. It was so adequate. That's a win for that side of it. <laughs> there you go. So, so what side won then in that, in that battle of strengths? Oh, the motor one or the winch one or the ratchet one, depending on your point of view. <laughs> so the, the coupling mechanism failed. The drum in between sheared into two pieces. <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking it probably sheared pretty quickly at that point. Apparently, I wasn't there that day for some reason. <laughs> I came in the next day or came in later or whatever and uh, and was shown the uh, the broken parts. <laughs> the carnage. <laughs> So, so with a with a hundred some odd people on your team, um, how how is it structured? Uh, how do you how do you kind of work out? You know, a hundred people working on one project. I mean, it's really hard for me to like get one person, i.e., Stephen, to like do a podcast. So I can't imagine handling like ninety nine other people to do a podcast. <laughs> Somehow you're successful every week. I don't know how. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so team structure. Um, essentially, what we have is uh, we, we do a division-based structure. So essentially, um, each division is focused primarily on whatever, like robot ops is the, the division that builds the mechanical uh, functionality of the robot. Um, programming slash electrical does the hardware, well, electronic hardware, and integrates it with the software. Um, and then the construction division, uh, they're the division that builds the, uh, the field that we want to practice on so we can actually practice a robot in um, an accurate environment. Um, our IT information technology division, they design the website as well as the, uh, the scouting system we take to every competition so we, can, um, so we can scout other teams' robots and have actual data on how they perform in each match so we can make an informed decision on who we want to pick as our alliance partners. And then finally, our public relations division uh, is essentially kind of like the team management. They handle like our outreach events, our uh, team image, um, that kind of uh, marketing, essentially marketing division. Um, and those are the major divisions of our team. So how does um, how does the information technology group record what y- your performance or your robot? That part uh, utilizes the ever so um, willing uh, members on our team to uh, manually input data into laptops that uh, feed to a server. So they just essentially sit there, watch what each robot does, because we want to record every robot in a competition so we know how they do. And uh, they just sit. Oh, so you're also recording your competition. That's a scouting part of it. Yeah. Yes. Gotcha. That's what the scouts do. Yeah. It's a really nice way of saying spy on your competition. Hey. That's fine. <laughs> you gotta have you gotta have quality data in order to make a uh, in order to make a good decision on who you want to partner with. Because in the end of a competition, there's an elimination round where you pick alliance like the top ranked uh, members at the end of qualifi- teams at the end of qualification pick um, two other robots they want to be on their team to uh, compete in the eliminations. So you want to know who's the best so you can be with the best teams. Gotcha. Yeah. Wow. So that's really organized. How, how was how was it all? It, it, is there a student who leads all of this? Is there a student for each one of those division that leads all of this? How does it all work out? Oh, yeah. So divisions inside of our team, um, each division has an elected um, elected lead um, who, uh, who basically is in charge of managing the functions within that division. Um, so that way there's kind of like a single person who you can kind of go to say, hey, you're in charge of this here. I want to how's this going um, so everyone can kind of uh, so that way there's not just like a bunch of people working around. You kind of have one specific head for each division of the team. But then is there somebody who's over all of that? I'm the head of the uh, mechanical design of the robot. Um, we have a team lead who is also elected and she is the overall um, kind of leader of the team. She kind of manages the overall responsibilities. Kind of like, I guess, like a CEO kind of thing where they kind of head over everything. They make sure everyone's going in the right direction. Yeah, just kind of and handle those like logistical tasks, make sure everyone like, do we have this form out so people can sign it to be able to attend a competition or like, does everyone know? Here's the email to the whole team on what the logistical situation is, that kind of stuff. 
Plus, her parents have a very nice facility that we can practice in. Yes, that is very beneficial. Which is purely, purely coincidental. <laughs> no, it's, it certainly is. Um, but yeah, she definitely was the right. She's definitely the right one for the position. I mean, it's elective. Oh, she is. She is. Yes. Uh, so first is who can be a part of first? Is it students? Is it uh, I, I, I? You know, clearly John is not a high schooler. I don't think. Haven't been for years. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so who can be in first is um basically anyone can be part of first um the majority like the competition like the building the robot being part of a team um students um obviously the main ones who want they want engaged in building the robot but the great thing about first is they really kind of foster the cooperation between um mentors and students they don't it's not just students build it and mentors kind of watch and give advice. It's really kind of, they want it to be essentially kind of a one-on-one. You're building it together as a team and not as like mentors and then students. It's you're all together in this learning together. It's not like Pinewood Derby where your dad just builds it for you. Hey, no, it's, we're all working together. That Pinewood Derby car is supposed to be a joint project. It's supposed to be. It is supposed to be. <laughs> well, it was in our house. <laughs> it was here, but then you show up with your like kind of like painted Pinewood Derby that you kind of hand carved, and then like you look over to your like your friend, and he's got like a CNC router. Like <laughs> one. you're like, there is no way you built that yourself. <laughs> Well, our Pinewood Derby cars were before the days of access to CNC routers. Yeah, I love our CNC router. It's fantastic. Uh, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> well, this so how do you sign reasons. up and get involved with FIRST? Um, so uh, obviously, if you want to join a team, um, each team has their own um, ways to join. Some are based in the high, in schools. Others are community-based organizations. Um, you can go on first uh, first headquarters website. Um, they have a list of every team who's active and where they're located. In, so you can go and find what team's local to you, and then try to. They have some have ways to contact them. Otherwise, you just kind of have to go and look on the internet and find out where they are, how to contact them. But, um, and then you can also like at events or other or events, competitions and stuff, you can volunteer, um, get a part of it through that way. Um, there's really a lot of ways to get involved through teams and volunteering. All right. So yeah, uh, basically I'm going to assume that there's with 7,000 teams worldwide, you'll find a chapter close to you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's teams everywhere and I believe they do actually have a map too. So it's kind of like pins of everywhere everyone is. So it kind of gives you a visualization. They're spread out pretty evenly. Um, so there's usually probably a team near you. Well, for instance, Derek, how many do we have here on the North side of uh, Indianapolis? In Indiana, I believe we have six, no, 57. I'm probably wrong on that, but it's like fifties to sixties. But on the north side of Indianapolis, we've got us. Like 10. 10, yeah. Yeah, approximately. Well, yeah, so like Parker said, there's a good chance that there's one in your area. Yeah, absolutely. There's most likely one in your area. I mean, unless, you, I mean, unless you're in like the middle of nowhere, but there still might be a team, honestly. There's a good chance there's one in your high school. So if you're a, a engineer looking to be a mentor, though, how do you get involved? It's the same way? There are two qualifications. One is to uh, be one of those people that can't say no. Another one is to be one of those people that goes and volunteers, which is what I did in the first time in 2014. Um, for very, I, I'd been retired for, how long had I been retired? About seven years at that point. You know, being associated with the team keeps the brain active. It also gives me access to mechanical CAD tools, you know, a 3D modeler, which for some reason, the place I worked never really wanted to buy a seat for me at the, at the, uh, at the CAD tool being an electrical and all. So, but uh, it also associates you with uh, people, with uh, young folks in that age, in the high school age group, which is, uh, um, very, very satisfying. Uh, I find it so. It's one of the reasons I volunteer with Boy Scouts also. Anyway, it's part of that, you know, community service thing they learn in Boy Scouts. I was a Boy Scout once. 
I think I think it's you're always a Boy Scout if you were in the Scouts. It's like being a Marine. You know, you're always a Boy Scout if you've ever been a Boy Scout. Yeah. I think actually Steven and I are Eagle Scouts. Are you? I don't think. Yeah, we're both Eagle Scouts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my son is also. So I'm the I'm the odd one out, I guess. <laughs> it's okay, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> If people want to get involved in in first, I guess it's find a local chapter and and want to build and you know help people build stuff. Absolutely, yeah. Just have the want to be able to help out and yeah, get involved. It's not uh, generally. It's really pretty easy to get involved and find a place where you can help out and engage uh, young young students and get them involved in STEM. Catch them early. So before we go on to the the actual competition. Um, y'all's name tech hounds How, how'd y'all come up with that name um so our high school is the carmel high school greyhounds um so it kind of ended up being a little bit of play on just replace gray with tech um i believe it also um there was our founding uh one of the teams uh team 45 the techno cats uh, they were one of our they helped us found our team back in uh 2001 um so we kind of took inspiration from their techno and just kind of added it to our uh, our school's animal. So that's how kind of the name came by. And uh, the, the website for all of this is uh, firstinspires.org. Is that right? Uh, yeah, for the main, yeah, the main website is um, for first headquarters. Yes. Okay, great. Yeah. So if you want to go find out some more information about all of it, firstinspires.org. Yep. That's where you find it. Cool. All right, cool. Let's uh, let's talk more about the competing in FRC, which is the first robotics competition, which I guess would be for inspiration and recognition of science and technology. Robotics competition would be the entire yeah, name the of overall, it. Overall, the main organization, because there are sub levels of uh, first in different competition levels. Oh, okay. I um, well, and and they call it a sport. They do. Like it's it's legitimately like the, everyone calls it a sport, which is great, and I love that. I was watching a a YouTube video on it earlier today, and there was a lot of arguments about like, is this a sport or not? And uh, there was a lot of people who were very much on the side of yes. I would definitely say it is. Um, I mean, I've I've played football for like eight years before, and I mean. It's is equally competitive as an in, an intensive experience as well as a learning experience. So I I definitely say it's a sport. I'd call it. I certainly call it that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if people are calling video game sports, there's no reason why this can't be one. It's the sport of the mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not easy building a robot oh, no. either. Um, there's a lot of challenges <laughs> in building, especially. I mean, have, have people picked up a 120 pound robot? No, it's heavy. It's, Come on, it's heavy. that's a sport <laughs> by itself. I was doing that all. It usually takes. Yeah, it's two people. Yeah, it's two. It's people. two people. It's not sure. just one. And of course, with the bumpers on it, it could be 150. So yeah, we usually look for the smallest people on the team to take that job. <laughs> yeah, I think it's slightly. I think one person's slightly out of OSHA. Uh, standards or something so we have we have the spec too well you know we uh the way the military defines man portable is to put a handle on it <laughs> <laughs> this is sort of the same uh, the same principle i think parker's pretty good at doing that you, ju- you just weld the handles onto all kinds of stuff right there's handles all over your jeep now right yeah it makes it portable right exactly <laughs> yes <laughs> by something anyway yeah so so last year's competition um you said you had to lift something up 10 feet. So what was that thing? Yes. Yeah, so what, um, what was the overall competition to do? Yeah, I'll, I'll just, yeah, I'll give a, I'll give a little overview of the competition. Um, so essentially the competition is it's the name is power up. So it was an eight bit video game theme. Um, this game essentially is, um, when the competition, when the match starts, it pits six robots on a field, th- three on each alliance and they compete against each other and try to, get the most points in order to win the match. Um, this, uh, the game this year uh, is essentially a game of uh, teeter-totter or like scales. So there are three scales on the field, one, uh, two short scales and one high scale in the middle. Uh, so each robot has to, the goal is to tip the scale in your favor um, and you earn points based on how long you control the scale. So one second of control is equal to one point per scale. So you can be like earning um, you can be earning one point per scale. Um, 
And the goal is to maintain that lead. As, and you do that by placing what are called power cubes onto the scale. Uh, power cubes are essentially, they are just milk crates, um, like 12-inch uh, wide milk crates um, with like uh, like a vine or a fabric coating over them. So they just sort of not, the hole in the middle isn't um, a problem. Um, and essentially you're, what you're doing is picking those up, um, placing them in the scale and, uh, trying to control the scale for the majority of the match. And then in the end game, um, which is the last 30 seconds of the match, these matches last two minutes and 15 seconds. Um, in the end game, the goal of the robot is to, uh, defeat the boss, which essentially constitutes, um, three robots, all three robots in the team, uh, climbing. So lifting the robots off the ground, um, a minimum of 14 inches, um, and uh, another facet of the game is there the power cubes you gain to put on the scale. You can also put in uh, an area which is on the ground, which is called the vault, where you can kind of put it in and score power-ups. So it gives you like a boost. So it doubles your score on the scale for 10 seconds or, um, or a, a power-up that gives you control of a scale, even if you don't have control of it uh, physically. And then there's a third one that gives you an extra levitate, which is that end game climb. So you only have to have two robots physically climb. And then the third is game through power ups. So how do you, is when you say climb, how, I, I'm kind of, it's hard for me to imagine that. Can you explain? Uh, yeah. So in our robots case, it literally was, there's a, um, there's a horizontal bar, like a, like a steel tube um, that's uh, at the top of the scale, which is like, eight feet off the ground and you have okay. to latch onto that bar and pull your robot up onto that like okay yeah okay. so ours was like a winch and a pulley or a winch and a rope pulling the robot up gotcha yeah so on whatever you're using to lift the the power cubes up that hooked onto that bar and then you just winched yourself up um, is that correct in our case our main uh way to lift the robot on that was a uh, a hook so it was like a hook that kind of like went over the bar and latched onto the bar. Okay. Yeah. So it was like a hook that went up, um, hooked onto the bar. We drove away. It was a spring loaded clasp. So when the hook, uh, got pulled away from the bar, it deployed off the robot. So the spring deployed the mechanism holding it onto the robot. So it was free hanging. And then we just used a rope to pull up on the, uh, on the hook, um, from a winch. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and when, and did you have to stack the power cubes on top of each other or how big is, is the scale? Uh, the scale is like three feet deep by like five feet wide. So, um, you could stack four cubes, um, wide and then, um, two cubes deep. So yeah, there every, in high level competitions, there were multiple layers of stacking, especially when people made mistakes and the stacks weren't like even you'd have like cubes that sideways, like not laying flat. It'd fall off. Yeah. And, Falling. Yeah. yeah. That precision and accuracy in that is, um, a major deal, uh, detail about it. Um, and also I did forget, um, when I was describing the game initially, um, the, the matches last two minutes and 15 seconds, but the first 15 seconds of the game is a fully autonomous period. So the robots, uh, run under pre-programmed instructions, um, and do, uh, whatever the teams decide them to do to complete, like to put, uh, cubes on the scale during that autonomous period where you earn bonus, like double the points for doing it autonomously. But only 15 seconds. Yeah, the robots are only controlling themselves for 15 seconds, and then human players take control for the rest of the two-minute match. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Um, so who gets – do you have a division that controls the robots, or is that part of robot ops? So what it is, it's, we have, it's called drive team because they drive the robot. Um, it's basically okay. – it's a, it's a position where people try out for because um, we obviously want the best, the most qualified – uh, individuals to drive the robot. Generally, each year it's a team of two, so one to drive and then one to operate the like various functions on the robot, like the lifting like the lifting elevator um, and the like intake system to pull the cubes into the robot. So it's two, fun to two people, so it kind of divides the work up. As well as there's the uh, the team coach, who's an adult mentor who uh, coaches the drive team as they're um, completing the task to kind of keep them on track. Gotcha. Because there's a lot going on. So you need someone kind of just watching and informing you what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so how, like, how does your team prepare for these competitions? Like, how do you prepare the robot? How do you, so like after you're done building it and stuff, how do you prepare your team? 
Um, okay, so once we're um, once the six weeks we have to design and build the robot pass. Well, so you only have six weeks? We have to... six weeks. We have some January, the first week of January to like the middle of February, and that's it. That's pretty aggressive. Uh, yes. So we, we, um, ran, we ran a competition to like blink LEDs, and that was six weeks long, and we had people complain that was not enough time. Yeah. <laughs> and now you're building a robot in six weeks. Uh, turnaround time is um, incredibly short. Um, that's why... Um, majority of the time we don't do during the season, we don't have like, um, electrical design because obviously turnaround times for designing a complete sub system takes longer generally in six weeks. I mean, you usually wait a week to get your PCBs back. I mean, I'll get JLC and they'll do it in 48 hours, but three days for shipping from China if it's on a weekday. So like turnaround times are just too long. I'll do stuff out of the season. Um, uh, which you're allowed to do, but there's like a lot of rules that I can go over about what you can and can't do outside of um, season. But I, I have designed stuff for the team um, that we've utilized in our robot, just not in the season. Gotcha. Yeah. That's that's six weeks is crazy. Uh, there are more sleepless nights than I'd like to admit um, getting that done. Um, way too many past 2 a.m.s on when I have to get up at 530. Uh, so priorities uh yeah uh working on robots <laughs> hey you know you gotta robots gotta get done and it's incredibly fun to do it so just you gotta spend the time john you were going to say something i was gonna say it's pretty intense for the mentors too i being retired i can pretty much be there every night the team is meeting or every whenever the team is meeting and during the build season i do prioritize the team over everything else um so it's it's an intense uh, activity. Uh, last year we managed to build two robots, one to practice with, and then one to sequester at the end of the build season that then didn't um, get used again until the first competition. When, to prepare for the competition, um, we have a we you have to do what's called the end of the build season bag and tag, which is literally put your robot in a giant plastic bag and put a number tag on it so you're not allowed to touch it until you go to a competition so after the six weeks you cannot touch that robot in order before competitions if you do have a second one you can practice with that and maybe discover some operational problem that then you can correct down the road somewhere derek what are the rules around that um for the second robot there really there aren't any rules the second robot is long because you only have one robot to compete with the second one you build is all yours. I mean, that's that's the reason teams build two robots, and that's the reason we build two robots is so we have the flexibility in order to spend. Because generally, between competitions, um, like from the end of um, the time build season ends, we generally have like weeks in between competitions, maybe three, maybe two, maybe one, and we spend we try to spend as much time as possible improving our robots design between those. Because obviously, six weeks is too short, and we need to continue to spend uh, more time to to actually improve the robot, especially in the software segment. Uh, most of the time, software does not really get hands-on with a physical robot until the very last, like, very end of the actual build season. So uh, giving them as much time as possible post-build season with a secondary robot really allows them to improve what, they can, what the robot can actually do. You also do repair during that time, too. Things break, as you might imagine. Robots, although you're not supposed to make contact, robots still hit each other, right? Oh, absolutely. And things and, break. And things oh, break. So I have some great stories about that. Do. I have some great stories about breaking during competitions. So so before we get to that, so you can't so I'm gonna assume you can't change the besides repairing it, you can't change the physical aspects of your robot, but you can change the code that's running on it. Uh yeah, you can change the code and then just deploy when you open the robot. Um between competitions, um Certain competitions, um, you are allowed a set amount of unbag time the week prior to that, like the week immediately before um, that competition. You're given, you generate six hours of unbag time where you have six hours to take your robot out of the bag, practice, repair, improve in that time, and then you have to bag it up after those six hours before you can go to the com- before you can go to the competition. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That sounds reasonable. So I want to hear these horror stories now of. Uh, it's more <laughs> of the uh, trial by fire and, um, I guess, lessons in material design, um, material strength, um, 
So I guess um, to start, uh, one of the crazy things that happened um, started in our second competition. Um, this second competition, um, after we competed in a, reg in a regional competition in the very first week that competitions open, um, we generally try to do this to give us that uh, initial competition to see how the robot's going to perform in actual uh, in an actual competition setting, so we can spend our time for the next competitions and really improve what we see is wrong because we just don't get enough time to test. So this um, the second competition, we had um, by this point in time, we had determined that our mechanism to uh, physically intake the cubes into our robot, so we have a hold of them um, in order to uh, lift them to the desired height with the elevator system, um, was not sufficient for the uh, what we needed to do. Um, so we spent the intervening like two-ish weeks um, redesigning. Um, an intake mechanism with uh, better uh, better geometry um, that allowed us to intake the cubes better. What essentially it was is two uh, parallel bars that have um, uh, compression wheels um, that pull the cube in by just rotating the wheels and sucking it in, essentially. Um, so it, would that operate kind of like a, uh, a um, pitch machine where you drop the ball in and it has a wheel that spins and spits the ball um, out? Like uh, the concept of using the in wheel, reverse, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, in reverse, but same kind of concept is using the friction on the wheels to grab uh, the yeah, the yeah. Box using the friction of the in. wheels to suck it in is yeah. That's an accurate description. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, we used the uh, pitch machine idea some years ago when the uh, game involved throwing a frisbee. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. And that, was, and, and that robot spit out frisbees like a machine gun. Accurately spit out. <laughs> yeah, that was a very that, uh, yeah. That 2013 was a very successful year. Uh, yeah, Ultimate Ascent was a great year for us. I have a page. Um, it was yeah, it, so. it was worth watching. It was worth seeing. Um, yeah. So sorry. Uh, back to my back to my story of um, disaster uh, on the field. So um, essentially, we redesigned that intake mixing with better geometry um, and cut out the. Um, cut out, well, we routed out the uh, 2D plates, so like a stack of two plates, like compressing, holding the wheels together um, with bearings um, and spacers to keep it separated. We machined those out of, originally out of 16th inch 6061 uh, aluminum. Um, so it was a pretty pretty thin uh, material, as well as we also had light, like lightning patterns to decrease the weight of it. Um, so kind of further reducing the, uh, the strength, the, um, structural stability of the, uh, of the part. The lightning patterns made it go faster too, right? Absolutely. Well, let the lightning out. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, this pattern, uh, this kind of design, um, although it, in initial testing and stuff, it performed and it's performed exceptionally well. And like the actual design of the intake did perform above and beyond expectations, uh, because it was pneumatically operated, so it would open and close to be able to get the cube at a, um, a wider angle, so it can kind of like open and close to grab the cube a little bit better. The wheels in their default state would grab the cube um, with compression, but opening up wider just made it easier, as well as their like high tension springs um, compressing, uh, giving more compression on the cube to keep it really tight, so we don't it doesn't slip when you're raising it up because there's like there's no bottom plate holding it there, so it's all it is is friction. And compression holding the cube into the robot. Mm -hmm. um, so this um, this design uh, performed really well. But then when we got to competition, um, obviously the stress and strain of numerous impacts, aggressive driving, um, just the normal rigors of what we find in a competition. Um, the those intake mechanisms really showed a lot of began to show uh, serious signs of wear. Um, actually, the the first night before the competitions, we were running practice matches. Our uh, our driver got a little aggressive with the controls and uh, ended up uh, slamming the intakes fully extended uh, out in front of the robot right into a wall. Um, so the metal kind of did a a. a it bent in on itself. Uh, so the thing just kind of shrunk into itself as the metal folded on one of the, um, under the lightning uh, pattern joints. Um, so uh, we spent half an hour just, um, we spent like almost half an hour uh, taking just like plates of uh, thicker, like quarter inch aluminum and like C clamps and stuff and just like 
compressing it, trying to straighten back out again, um, and, uh, getting it back into shape. We managed to get it to work and we were able to like continue, uh, the rest of the competition with varying degrees of wear and tear, um, until obviously the only time it's going to break is during when we fortunately made it to like the final, uh, eliminations of the competition. Um, that's of course the time when it decides to break. Uh, so these metal plates, after being beat around for the rest of the competition, getting more and more bent up, uh, finally decided it was time to just fracture and fall apart. Um, so in the heat of the competition, during final eliminations, uh, our intakes had shattered and were non-functional, um, mainly because, not because like the whole thing fell apart, because most of the, uh, the posts, uh, the standoffs are holding it together, like even though members had fractured, uh, the whole thing was like, it just didn't fall apart. But what the major issue was, was that um, these intake wheels, um, the output stage of the, uh, of the gearbox that was driving it uh, was belt driven. So the belts, um, the belts due to the fact the intake kind of compressed in on itself, lost tension because the distance shrunk. So it wasn't spinning. Um, so what we ended up having to do in like, less than five minutes while we're people are going us to get back in the competition and we had tight turnarounds and we had to keep fighting through matches. We were able to manufacture what are essentially like splints, like just splints to like bolt the pieces back together. Um, like we just took some like L bracket and just like cut it down the size, drilled holes really quick and just kind of splint it back together in order to get it back into a functioning state. Um, which we did actually win the competition with it working actually one side working only one side of the intake was actually spinning. Because uh, we ripped the belt to shreds, so the thing just kept trucking with <laughs> shattered intake plates and um, shattered intakes, and just um, one side actually spinning. Um, yeah, that's just one of the crazy stories. I mean, we'd had numerous other occasions. Uh, I learned a very important experience: um, do not use polycarbonate like Lexan with Loctite. <laughs> it shatters it. Like you put Loctite on it, and five minutes later, <laughs> it's in five million pieces. So it, it yeah it, it uh, embrittles it. Uh, yeah, if you go out online, you can find uh, uh, admonitions about not using Loctite with Lucite, but we didn't know that. Now we do. Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> yeah. Our lesson <laughs> lesson learned because that was 15 minutes before another match, and we had to frantically reassemble a new intake onto the robot uh, and put it back together before the next match. Um, so that was fantastic. Uh, but yeah, that's, um, one of the crazy stories, um, I, I more, but I don't want to keep just like going on with crazy stories. <laughs> <laughs> most, most of the time this year has revolved around the intake shattering. Um, we've had some trouble with some of the gear with occasional trouble with a gearbox and a robot, um, as well as the hook deployment, but the gear, the intakes are the crazy story. Yeah. It sounds like it sounds like that, that's like the majority of where you get your points is from, collecting the, the boxes and putting them onto the scale yeah which is what that whole mechanism does absolutely yeah that's that's yeah that was the major it was the major issue so what's next for the tech hounds um so what's next is it's november so that means we have two months less than two months until we start build season of 2019 so we start january 6th they release first headquarters releases the game and um and they release the game, and that's what we start building a new robot for that competition season. So we're just kind of right now we're in preseason, which essentially all our new members are uh, for this year just kind of for training, um, getting doing some kind of team bonding, getting people to know each other, getting people to know the equipment and the like what we're building, what we're about. So we're kind of wrapping that out shortly, but that's what we've been doing since the start of school this year in August. And so you won't know what the game is until January sixth, correct? Yeah, we do not know any like specifications, what the game's going to be. Um, the only thing they give us is like a teaser, which essentially is just like, uh, here's the theme. Because this year's theme is deep space. Um, okay. They gave them like a little teaser trailer. But other than that, we don't know anything that you can actually design, um, you can actually design for. Uh, so it's just completely blind until you get into that six-week build season. So, but the teaser at least tells you something. It says that within, it tells you that within the, the field space, you're not going to have any gravity. So you've got something to go on. <laughs> and you know it's not going to be the, the often rumored water game. That is true. So oh, you know, is that like an inside joke? Is that it's going to be yeah. like a water game? 
<laughs> yeah, every year it's like, like the big, well, joke of water game 20 whatever. Um, yeah. It's, that's kind of the, the big joke. There was a water game. They played it in swimming pools in California. But not for this competition. But not for U.S. first. Yeah, not for first. Um, no, there was a, a team that had first gotten to what? They were together that first time that year that won that competition. They uh, From a less than uh, uh, affluent school like we are. I mean, we have a lot of sponsors. We have a lot of money. We've got a lot of people involved. And this team did it with practically nothing. So, you know, it's uh, it's sort of like the movie Hoosiers, right? Backcountry high school that uh, wins the competition. Yeah, like October Sky or something. Yeah, like October Sky. Great movie, by the way. Good good book, too. Once the uh, build season is over, um, mentors have an opportunity to, uh, yeah, like I do, go and watch the competitions uh, if we if we travel overnight, for instance, you, you always need um, um, uh, chaperones, and then people like uh, Derek's dad, who really get involved with repairing the robot, off you know, working in the pits themselves. I tend to stay out of the pits. I get involved at the front end of things, but. Uh, it all works out, and boy, I'll tell you, these guys scrambled last year. We got to do better things <laughs> in the build season this year. No Loctite on Lucite, for instance. Yes, that would be uh, <laughs> ideal, ideal circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> and no thin aluminum with lightning bolts on it, right? Uh, yeah, no, no lightning holes or thin aluminum. Um, yeah, <laughs> don't let it out. It's it tends to get a little shocky. Well, I think we can lighten things by being smarter about how we put the lightning holds in or how we arrange. Um, one of the nice things about the CAD tool is that it uh, it allows us to do some uh, uh, apply torsions and apply uh, bending to it and just to see how it's how it responds. If a if a hundred and fifty pound robot slams into a wall, will this bend? <laughs> Well, that may be a hard to th- hard thing to model in the CAD tool, but but the ideal thing is uh, choosing a material like like the reason we went to from metal to like Lexan, which we use for the intakes now, is it can take those impacts, deform, and then return to its original uh, shape without actually like breaking. Gotcha. Yeah, so that that's was theory. definitely. In theory. Uh, but yeah, but if you hit it hard enough, it does shatter. Yeah. No, we had a very successful season. Looking forward to another one. So does anyone, Stephen, do you have any other questions? Uh, no, I, I think, I think I'm pretty good. I, um, so we're definitely going to have to have, uh, John and Derek back onto the podcast after the next design cycle, maybe after the first shakedown run. So you can talk about the, the new game and what y'all built for it. Yeah. Does that sound good? And we'll definitely have to talk a little bit more about electronics because um, we didn't really get much into that, but we can definitely do it. Oh, that's that's cool. Yeah, because we, uh, I, I've, I've definitely done some electronic design for this for this uh, FRC competition, um, and it's been really interesting. I was going to say, you know, we, we control motors that have a stall current of, what, 100 and, 150 amps, something like that. So you don't want to stall the motors. It's, yeah. It just... You know, it would it would destroy the battery if there weren't wasn't this forty amp circuit breaker in between it. So there, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of guess. Uh, I wouldn't say guessing. We attempt to design things at the front end, but towards the end of the uh, build season, when things are perhaps not performing quite right, we double the motors or quadruple the number of motors. <laughs> You laugh, but we did do that. <laughs> you laugh. <laughs> and we have ways to do it. And the idea is to design, for instance, the gearbox last year so that you can do it. Yeah, I was about to say, is, is design for 4X in case you actually need the 4X? Uh, yeah, design for modification, design for adaptability, so that way you have the ability to kind of, if you determine whatever you design wasn't sufficient, you already have kind of an upgrade path pre-designed, so 
Like you design yeah. a gearbox, you make sure you have um, expandability pre-built into your design. Uh, make sure whatever you have can be modified. Um, you know, maybe don't add those lightning holes so you can just modify, drill a new hole, bolt something down so you don't remove too much material, that kind of stuff. Or you just expect to make changes. Don't expect whatever you make at the end of build season is the final revision. Um, obviously, there's never just one revision. It's never 1.0000. It's always 1.0001 at the very least. <laughs> uh, another thing we do, for instance, is ha we assemble it with uh, a high-strength pop rivet. Not just one, many high-strength pop rivets. But hey, if you look at the rovers on Mars, that's how they're put together. And a few bolts, but uh, yeah, pop rivets. NASA level engineering. Um, that's right. Uh, another thing that we did this year the, in the last game was to pay attention to keep to keep an uh, to keep a halfway decent idea of the weight of each subassembly, so that we would have an idea that we were going to be within the 120 pound weight limit when we got to the end. We still ended up spending several hours drilling holes into the robot to try to decrease the weight. I was going to say. Um, just putting speed holes into my, it. My my, uh, <laughs> my hand drill and a step bit really uh, really did some really did some work for a while there. Uh, do we really need this? Number? We were what half a pound? Were we half a pound under? Uh, something like that. We were definitely within a pound. Um, so start ripping off zip ties and tape and uh, does this does this piece really need to be entirely solid? Uh, does it? <laughs> <laughs> Will it really break if it's uh, if it's Swiss cheese into a million million pieces? Do we really need the full width duct tape? Can we get away with three quarters? <laughs> I, I got it. Thing. Fill fill your tires up with helium. Ooh, ooh! I'm not sure it would matter, but especially. Since <laughs> <we're not. laughs> hey, that's that's how we get up to the top of scale. We just it is less dense. We, we float our way up. There you go. Yeah. Given the theme, this and that's negative weight. Yeah, lighter the robot. Anyway, the better. Yes, indeed. So, do you want to sign us out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I can do that. Uh, that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your guests, Derek Fronick, John Waitner, and we were your hosts, Parker Dolman, and Stephen Craig. See you next time, guys. Right on. Take it easy. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, you are a listener for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project topic, or you're interested in getting into the first program, let Stephen and I know. Tweet us at Macrofab or email us at podcast at macrofab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest map episode right when it releases. And please view us wherever you listen as it helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us.